Good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning. Uh, I would ask that you take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to preach this morning. I am grateful to Pastor Craig for giving me this opportunity. And I do ask that you be in prayer for him, just as Dave did, uh, as he is traveling with, and with the entire team. And we do look forward to hearing uh, all about uh, the things that he has the opportunity and privilege to experience and see there. Uh, as uh, you are turning to Daniel uh, chapter 2, I, I want us to think about this morning. As we enter a new decade... I want us to look at how we can clearly see in 2020. It was the end of 2017 uh, when I had begun to notice that I I was having a little trouble uh, with uh, my vision. And things were just not quite as clear as I thought they ought to be uh, at that point. So scheduled an appointment and went for a regular exam and after the technician had uh, had spent some time with me, the doctor came in and he said I'd like to take one more look at your eyes so he did and he kind of rolled back and uh, on his stool and said uh, it's what I thought he said uh, you've got a cataract in your right eye well, I was 43 years old at that point and uh, I told him I said I, I just don't know that that's right. I said, I'm, I'm too young to have a cataract. He said, uh, it doesn't care what your birth certificate says. That's what you've got. And so, um, sure enough, a few months later, uh, I had cataract surgery. And it was not until three days after that that I realized what I'd been missing. And that I realized that Headlights in the evening were not the size of saucers. They were actually supposed to look more like a baseball coming at you rather than that. And, uh, but sometimes it's not until you can see clearly that you realize what you've been missing. So this morning, it is my prayer that as we look at the second ta- chapter of Daniel, that uh, we can see clearly because... This morning, we're going to see how Daniel was able to see that which others could not see. I've chosen this morning for us to read a portion of this passage rather than reading all, 30, uh, all 49 verses. We're going to walk through all of this passage. But we're going to begin reading with uh, kind of the heart of this passage with verse 14 and read through verse 40. So I hope you have your Bibles. We have some in Uh, underneath your seats if you don't. Uh, But please follow along there in Daniel chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the decision known to Daniel So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven 
concerning this mystery, uh, this mystery and secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what you, we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king... Thoughts come to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who might make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the truth of it. Father, we are grateful for its relevancy to our lives. In these next few moments, I pray that you would speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. I pray for clarity as we proclaim your word of truth. And Father, I pray that you would use those words to move us to closer fellowship with you. And for some, to propel them into fellowship with you for the first time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The passage that we have just read is the heart of Daniel 2. But to fully understand what is occurring in this second chapter... Of Daniel, we really need to go back to the first chapter, and it's here that we see the sovereign God of the universe as he is using a pagan, ruthless, wicked king like Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his plan and purposes for his people who have fallen away from him 
and now experience God's wrath and judgment. It appears that Nebuchadnezzar has just ascended to power as the book of Daniel begins. The king's dad had begun the conquest of the Babylonians uh, and had ruled before him. And now King Nebuchadnezzar has come after him and has accelerated and has expanded what his father had begun. One of the first conquests that we see that he enters is to go over to Jerusalem, to besiege the city of Jerusalem, and there to begin the first of three deportations. It is in these deportations that he extracts the best of the best from the city of Jerusalem and from the uh, nation of God's people. In this, it is a very selective process that he takes. He commands his chief eunuch and tells him that I want you to bring to me both the royal family and the youths who have no blemish, have a good appearance, have all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and will be competent to stand in the king's palace and have the capacity to learn the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whom we know better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It rolls off the tongue just a little bit better, uh, even though that is their Babylonian names rather than their Jewish names. But they were ones that were selected and were brought back and deported to uh, Babylon. They enter into a three-year training program to become wise men and counselors to the king. I believe that chapter 2 begins right as they're completing that three years of training. Now, you are reading there and looking. You say, well, chapter 2 states that in verse 1 that this was in the second year of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So how could they have been there three years in training if it's the second year? Well, the Babylonians had an interesting way that they counted the reign of their kings. The first year, when they, uh, when, which was their year of accession to the throne, was essentially year zero. And so that would have been the first year that Daniel and his friends were in training. His first year of reign that they would count would have been their second his second year of the reign, which we're at now, would have been their third. So that is how we intersect and we take and make these congruent that some would say is a contradiction. But as we look at it a little bit more, it actually is woven together. And there's not uh, any contradiction in those two timelines. But as he has begun this second year of rain, there is something that occurs one evening. And this is where we will pick up with your outline. And the first thing on your outline there is that the king is disturbed. He's not just disturbed a little bit. He is very disturbed. In the first verse of chapter 2, we are told that he had multiple dreams and they caused his spirit to be troubled and that sleep left him. The king is anxious and troubled. So the king commands for the magicians. 
astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans to come and tell him what his dream meant. So they come to him, and in verse 4, they tell him, O king, live forever. Tell your servants your dream, and we will interpret it for you. This is how this normally worked. There would be a king, have a dream. These soothsayers and magicians would come in, and wise men would say, tell us what you dreamed, and we'll tell you what it was. Well, the king doesn't play very well this particular time because in verse 5, we're told he's unwilling to tell them the dream. Well, that creates a significant problem for these guys because they have no idea what he dreamed. But he wants them not only to interpret it, but he wants them to tell him what that dream was. And he tells them this. He says, in, uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar tells him, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut to pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Simple enough. You either do this or you're going to die, and I'm going to make it as painful as possible to you and to those around you. And anything you have, I'm going to destroy. So, They've got a significant problem on their hands. Talk about significant pressure that is on them to make this kind of demand on their lives. Now, I do want to let you know that we need to kind of pause here because some of you, you may have different translations. And your translation of chapter 5 may tell you that this thing, the dream, was gone from him. And there are some scholars and some pastors who have taken that this dream was forgotten. Which is fortunately how most of my dreams go, is forgotten. But we don't know that that is, that is translation from some, if you have for instance the King James uh, translation, that is how it's translated there. However, a number of other translations and, uh, and New King James... And others translate it that my decision is firm. I have firmly decided is another way that it's put, in, uh, put here. I lean to the side that he knew and he was just not telling them. My basis for that is later on he tells them that he's tired of their lying and their corruption. And he's a little fed up with these wise men. So he wants to see if they really know what they're doing. Because the way they interpreted dreams were these dream books that would kind of be like case law. That they would go back and look and say, okay, this is what happened in this person's life after this dream. And the Chaldeans were notorious and uh, infamous with doing this and interpreting supposedly dreams. So he is putting them to a test, I believe. And that's why I hold to the fact that he knew it. And he's not telling them. Either way, he's not telling them what's going on. And they don't know it. And they're expected to be able to tell uh, him what is going to happen. And if they can't, then they're going to die. So at this point, they tell him, they say, Why, won't you just tell us, just give us a little bit of time for us to try to figure this out. He is unrelenting. 
in this, we see the king as, as somewhat unstable and, and almost insecure in that he, is, he will not listen to their reasoning whatsoever. These are his counselors, advisors, and he is going to have absolutely none of what they are asking him to do. Instead, he tells them, if you do not tell me, you're going to die, and I'm going to annihilate all that you know. One translation, when it says to make your house an ash heap, actually says that I will take and make your house a dunghill. So at the farm, that's translated that that's going to be the manure pile. And so essentially, you know, I'm going to make everything you know as repugnant to you as possible. The wise man uh, and, uh, uh, and they have no answer for him. They beg him for more time. But in this, they have a very and somewhat prophetic statement that they make in verse 11. It is a difficult thing that the king requests. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Did you catch that? No man can do this, but only the gods can reveal this. But the king continues to be unrelenting. He's enraged and reiterates his plan to annihilate and the judgment of executing all of the wise men. We should note this includes Daniel and his three friends. The next thing that comes is that the captain uh, Ariok of the king's court finds Daniel and tells him of the king's decree and how Daniel, and now it is at this point when Daniel becomes informed of this that Daniel gets involved. Verse 14 says, With counsel and wisdom, Daniel asks Ariok, Why is the decree so urgent? Daniel then, after hearing the information for Ariot, goes directly to the king. This young foreign prisoner takes great courage and boldness and goes before the king. With tact and wisdom, he asks the king, for the, simple, for the same thing that the other wise men and magicians had asked. But this time the king relents. He says he'll give him more time. Daniel goes back to his house where his three friends are. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he asks them to pray. Verse 18 says that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. But we got to ask a question here. Why was this 18-year-old kid so bold and confident before a king? I, I know a few 18-year-olds pretty well. And I'm just not sure how many of those that they would be confident enough and be bold enough to go before a king, a ruler. I know when I was 18 years old, I'd have, I don't want any part of that. But Daniel has some information, and we need to look back at chapter 1, verse 17. And this is what we're told about Daniel and his training. 
As for these four, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So Daniel has been given this gift from God. He knows that he has it. And he is trusting his God to be faithful to what God has revealed to him already. And that is the boldness and the confidence that Daniel goes before the king with. So while they're praying, God shows up and gets involved in our story at that point. That's your next thing on your outline is God gets involved in verse 19 through 23. We see that, uh, that God revealed the secret dream of the king to Daniel, uh, to Daniel in a night vision. Daniel's first response is not to run directly to the king. But instead we see the picture of Daniel pausing. Giving thanks to the God of heaven. In Daniel's prayer we are reminded that God is sovereign over all and that He possesses all wisdom and might. He is the one who controls the times and the seasons and is over all kings and kingdoms. He is the God who gives wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things and knows all that is in the darkness and is the source of all light. After Daniel gives his prayer of thanksgiving and worship, he then goes to Ariot and commands him not to destroy the wise men. Get this picture. Ariot's last command was from King Nebuchadnezzar. And now he's taking commands from this 18, 20-year-old kid who's a subject, a prisoner, In the next several verses, we are shown that Daniel has seen clearly what others were unable to see. And it is in that clear revelation that he comes before the king. And that's your next thing on your outline, is that Daniel sees clearly. Now, understand that Ariot, he was very quick to attempt to get a little bit of credit for himself. He says, you know, King, I found someone who can interpret your dream and I want to bring him to you. Now, that's a very important thing because when Daniel comes before the king, he gives all credit to the God of heaven who reveals all secrets. I want us to go back and look at verses 28 through 30. These are pivotal verses in our understanding of this passage and our understanding, frankly, of what occurs in the life of Daniel and the life of Israel during this period of exile. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Do not miss it. If you've checked out and you're checking a text or something, come back with us for just a second, okay? But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known 
to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I'm more wise than anyone else living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Daniel humbly gives all credit to God and tells the king that his dream was God's gracious revelation to him of what was to become of his kingdom and of him. Over the next 15 verses, Daniel reveals to the king all that he saw and what it meant. Due to our time, we're going to take and we're going to summarize these verses. But the vision was of an image, an awesome image that had a head of gold, had a chest and arms of silver, a belly, a waist and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron and feet, partly of iron and clay. Then there was a stone that was not cut by human hands, but it struck the image at its feet and broke them into pieces. And the whole image was crushed and like chaff was swept away by the wind. Then Daniel moves from accounting and telling the dream, moves in to what this meant, and now tells King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream. He begins by reminding the king that all his power and the kingdom has been given to him by the God of heaven, and that King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom was the head of gold. But a kingdom inferior to that would come. This was of silver and was believed to refer most due to the Medo-Persian Empire. The third was of bronze. Most believe that third empire is the Greek Empire. The legs of iron would be the Roman Empire. But there is a stone that is not cut by human hands that would come and crush this image that would strike it at its legs that would cause it to crumble and be scattered and there would be no remnant of it whatsoever. And you and I need to understand that that is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is God's kingdom that is coming and will come. You know, I ran across a great synopsis from Calvin because as you might suspect and many of you great Bible scholars that we have in our congregation, you know that there is great conversation and many volumes that have been written about this image and these kingdoms. But John Calvin wrote this statement and I thought it was exceptional and I don't think we need to miss it. 
he stated this and he said, Daniel is not relating what was going to be completed in one moment. He just wants to teach that the kingdoms of the world, all kingdoms of the world, are transient and that there is only one eternal kingdom. There is only one eternal kingdom. And that kingdom is the messianic kingdom of God, which Jesus Christ is king, as king of kings and lord of lords. As Daniel concludes his interpretation, he includes this bold and confident statement to the king. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Daniel's revelation before the king of his dream causes a great response from the king. The king is truly awestruck as he has heard Daniel reveal what he had dreamed and then interpret it. We're told in scripture in verses 46 through 47 that Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face prostrate before Daniel. Get this picture. This great king who just a day or so previously has been spewing all of these commands of executing an entire group of wise men, magicians, and soothsayers is now laying face down in his court before an 18-year-old boy, 18 to 20-year-old boy, as Daniel has told him what his dream was and what it has meant. The king is overcome with emotion. Now we need to understand that we have already seen that the king has wild swings of emotion from earlier, and we're going to see, unfortunately, that he's going to have more of this to come in later chapters as you read through Daniel and as you study it in the future. There we will see many great swings in his mindset and emotion during that time. But here is what the king states. It's almost his profession of faith, but we have to be careful with it. Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Did you get that? He's offered incense. He's offered offerings to Daniel. But here he says, your God is the God of gods. This polytheistic king saying, he's over all the gods. The Lord of the kings, a revealer of secrets. But I want you to be careful with this and understand that this is an awestruck response. But there's no conversion. There's no change. We need to be very mindful of that. Do not miss that this morning. Now the king does fulfill his word. He's a, he is honoring of what he has said earlier that he would reward whoever is able to tell him his dream and interpret it. And he does that for Daniel and even Daniel's friends. 
He gives Daniel great gifts, makes him a ruler over the whole providence of, uh, province of Babylon. Uh, he's the chief administrator over all the wise men. But Daniel doesn't forget that, hey, there's these other three guys that they went before the Lord on my behalf and prayed for me, prayed that God would reveal this to me. And he says, hey, my three friends, you know, can, can you give them a position? What can you do for them? And the king honors that. In this moment uh, of excitement, uh, he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and sets them over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So we end here at this point on this high note with King Nebuchadnezzar and just of this excitement. And Daniel has been lifted up and has been honored and God has shown up in mighty way and Daniel has praised him and gave thanks to him. But I want us to take our last few minutes and I think it's important that we do some comparing and contrasting here to what we've seen in this passage because I think there is a stark difference between what we see in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar and what we see in the life of Daniel. I want us to take a few moments to do some honest assessment of ourselves as we look at this comparison of these two individuals as we have walked through this chapter. The first thing that we see is the king is anxious and troubled. He has lost sleep. He is beside himself because of this vision. He understands the great weight that it is. And it has got him in a fit because of not being able to know what it is. And is creating him great unrest. But I want us to compare that Daniel. And here we have this kid who shows up and is calm, is cool, and is collective. And he's not only among these who are in authority over him, he is among those who have a edict and have orders to execute him. And there's no panic. There's no anxiety. It's, hey, Ariot, would you sit down? Tell me what's going on. Tell me why is the king so upset and why is this so urgent? I'll go talk to the king. Let me just go spend a few minutes with him, see if we can't work this out. That's the picture we have of this young boy. That is the result of someone who understands this important truth. And that is that there is a God in heaven who is sovereign over all things and who holds me in, their, in his hand and who has numbered my days. And you don't number my days, but there's a God in heaven who numbers my days and who is in complete and total control that is the difference between the king who is anxious and troubled by this vision 
and one who is on death row and who is calm, cool, and collected. Next, we see a king who is insecure and unstable. The king, when they, he cannot be told what this, his dream is, he goes into a fit of rage and he just says, well, kill them all. If they can't tell me what it is, get rid of them. I'll get some more. But then you have Daniel over here. He's had a word from the Lord. He knows what the Lord has gifted him in, what God has promised to him. And you see him as confident and bold, even before the executioner and even before the great king, Nebuchadnezzar. Next, we see the anger of the king. Anger causes us to do some things and say some things that frankly we wish that we hadn't said and that we, had, that we had not done. But the emotion of anger causes us to do that. And we see that in the life and in this passage with King Nebuchadnezzar. However, on the other side we see Daniel and the scripture says that it's with counsel and wisdom. I think that word can also be translated tactful and wise. Daniel, as he goes before Ariot, goes before the king, he has words that are just right for just that time. They have been seasoned just as God would have them. And my friend, that only comes from the wisdom of God. The wisdom that is found from God's Word. Spending time with God and with His Scriptures. And allowing the Holy Spirit to move and flow through you and I. That is what brings tactfulness and wisdom to our lives. But if we look back just over the last seven days... What would we say, how much tact and wise words have we had compared to those instantaneous words of anger that spew out and that you're just trying to draw them back in? That's probably only for me and no one else in this room. But there is truth in that. Next, we see a king that's demanding of all those around him. Even demanding of things that are unreasonable and impossible. But you see, Daniel, he goes to his friends and asks them to pray. He says, hey, would you pray? We, we got this situation that we've got to deal with. Would you pray? I, I hope you've got friends like that. I hope you're in a Sunday school class that's like that. That you are praying for one another, lifting up concerns of one another. I hope you have that kind of network for yourself. You need that. Next, we see a king who's just downright hostile. One that is willing to 
destroy people in violent ways because he's not getting his way and destroy all that they have. And then Daniel, we see him prayerful. Coming before his holy God, lifting up his heart, trusting him, receiving the vision from him. And then, finally, we see a king who's awestruck. That's great. He has seen the mighty hand of God. How many of us have seen the mighty hand of God so many times? God show up and do the impossible. But he's unchanged, unrepentant. And finally, Daniel, we see him. He's the thankful praiser of God and worshiper who says that you are mighty and you are holy and you are amazing and awesome. And I thank you for showing up and revealing the secrets, taking what's in the dark and bringing it into the light. My friends, we, we Ivy Creek, we need men and women who are like Daniel. That when we face the crisis of life, the challenges, the difficult days, that we need those who are calm, cool, and collected, who are confident and bold, Tactful and wise, prayerful and enlisting others to pray. Those who are thankful and who come to God and worship Him and give Him all credit and all glory for what He has done. This morning, as we come to a close, let's come to our sermon in a sentence. In this new decade, If we are to see clearly, we must have a clear view of the sovereign God of Daniel who reveals all secrets, controls all things, raises up all rulers, gives all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and brings all things out of darkness into the light. I know that some of you in this room have spiritual cataracts. You have not seen the Lord clearly in years. And frankly, some have never seen the Lord clearly. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is calling you out of that darkness and into His marvelous light where you can confess that He is sovereign. He is the sovereign God over all things, and that includes your life. Some of us, we need the God of heaven to bring clarity and to bring calmness to our lives and to give wisdom, His wisdom, His knowledge and His understanding in the tough and hard times and trials that you're facing. I challenge you to pray and ask God. I challenge you to be bold in asking God to give you that wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And I encourage you to ask others to come alongside you and pray with you. 
And some of you, you're like the king. You're anxious and you're troubled. You're finding that there's a lot more night than there is sleep. And you're in the middle of your greatest battle. And you need to know that there is a God who is with you. Jesus is the calm in the midst of all chaos. Finally, some of you, you're the awestruck king. You have had an emotional experience. You've experienced the goosebumps and the emotional high. But in reality, there's been no change and there's not a repentant heart and life. You've remained the same as before. And God is calling you and saying, this this time is for you. That it not to be an emotional high, but it to be a revelation that I need to be redeemed and transformed by the living God, the sovereign God of the universe who loved me and sent his son to die on the cross for my sins that I could experience eternal life, that I could be a partaker in his eternal kingdom, the one that will crush all kingdoms and the only one that will stand because, my friends, all other kingdoms will pass away. It is my prayer that we all see clearly and we see clearly in 2020 just as Jesus sees clearly every day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the truth of your word. We're grateful for what you have revealed to us this morning from it. We pray that we would respond as your Holy Spirit leads us. And Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified by the worship of your people. In Christ's name, amen.